Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie, it's you, Jamie. Don't be alarmed, but I think there's a guy following you. Maybe we should get that guard dog we talked about? Nothing too scary, maybe like a Bichon with an attitude? You know, Progressive's collision insurance covers injured dogs and cats at no extra cost, so... Wait, the guy stood up when I stood up. He's on the phone. He's looking right at me. Oh, wait, it's just my reflection. Don't tell anyone about this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina. Hayward on a tight curl in the lane. Goes into the body of McRoberts, collects himself, puts it on the front rim, and rolls it in. And Gordon Hayward, for the first time in his NBA career, has scored 20 points in six straight games. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for December 2nd. The Jazz dropped to Miami in a lackluster defensive performance that may have exposed a defensive flaw. We'll look at the clock situation at the end. A disconcerting note on Dante Exum and a pack Friday. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. This is Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm really tired today, which is either because I was worn out for the loss last night or two because I skied yesterday and I'm just out of shape and, and beat by that. So who knows? Let's blame it on the first, not the second. Then I can ski again today. But it was nice to finally get out. Uh, probably the latter is the reason, but just thought I'd share. All right, so I think I laid out for you what today's program is. Uh, we'll look at last night's game, try to understand the clock situation at the end, um, and proceed uh, through that. Uh, there's something wrong with the Jazz defense, and it was exposed last night by Miami, and we'll look at that a little bit. And then uh, we'll pack Friday it as well, so that's good. Today's show is brought to you by our friends at Sherlock Intelligence. I'll tell you more about them, but they're going to allow you to compete with the big boys. Use Moneyball Smarts for your company with their data collection. It's Sherlock Intelligence. Uh, Jazz are home Saturday. Tickets are available to see Denver and then home for a five-game homestand. I hope you can come out and join us for any of those games. Tickets are available at utahjazz.com. And then uh, the ticket, the holiday ticket packages are really great. They're really, really great. So go to utahjazz.com and check that out. All right, let's get started. We always start. Oh, let me just one side note for you. Um, I will, today is probably the singularly best content ever uh, in the history of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Now, that's probably not that big a deal in the sense that we've only been around for, you know, since June. But on the NFL things, there's just some great shows, preview of the Bucks chargers game, um, and Packers have a game, Chiefs, Falcons, big game, bunch of big games. The NBA is ridiculous right now. Um, so here are, I just want to highlight these for you, and then I'll get to our show, because I just thought you might want to. So, uh, one, the Wizards did a really interesting piece, Lockdown Wizards, with Michael Lee of The Vertical about everything that's going on with the Ernie Grunfeld era. I, it's a really interesting look into how another franchise does things. Uh, the Hornets had Lee Ellis of the starters on, which is really good. The Warriors-Rockets game last night was out of this world, and Tim Bontcamps and Danny LaRue recapped it on Lockdown Warriors, which was which was just a, a great show. So that's available for you. Um, and there's a third, there's a fourth one that I was going to single out 
that I thought was, well, the Clippers show after beating the Cavaliers last night was is really good. The Rockets show, I mean, so there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, oh, Royce Young, ESPN's on Locked on Thunder. It's, and then, oh, the Nuggets had a one-on-one with Nuggets rookie Malik Beasley, which was really interesting. So there, it's as good a day of uh, content as the network has ever had. You can subscribe, by the way, just to the Lockdown Podcast NBA channel if you would like to. All right, let's get it to our pins. That's enough. Let's get to pins across the world. Let's do something fast. Matt Gardner's the last one to send one in. Quick before the pin, about to study business analytics at the U. Are there sports analytics positions out there? I played ball at SUU. I don't know. Uh, I didn't know that was coming. Um, my pin is Capitol Hill, Salt Lake. I grew up in Spanish Fork, went to Junior's Jazz events with Stockton, came to sign autographs, went to the long line to see John Stockton and his emotionless Face an emotionless conversation with the kids. Ha ha. My dad cried about hearing Jerry Sloan's health. He was a high school basketball coach for 30 years. And that's his idol and mentor. And his hero is Jerry Sloan. Well, that is Matt Gardner from Capitol Hill. Um, I will try to answer your other question for you, Matt. Uh, you're, you're above my knowledge base on like programs and systems and things of that nature. That's our pins across the world. All right, let's get to our tip-off story of the day. So the Jazz lost last night to Miami, and, you know, really this gets back to – on one level this gets back to the injuries. So the Jazz without George Hill, without Rodney Hood, without Alec Burks, without Derek Favors, I mean, you're missing three of five starters. They're just – and I, I know Miami's missing a bunch of guys too. Deion Waiter sucks though, and – Justice Winslow's only okay, and frankly, the guys they're missing uh, analytically would say they might get better because they're such inefficient players uh, offensively. So, you know, I mean, on on the court thing, there just are not a lot of NBA teams that are going to miss three out of five players or their starters and win games. Okay, I know that just is no fun, but that's the truth. Um, There aren't a lot of NBA teams out there that are uh, going to lose their point guard and win a bunch of games. That's become clue with, clear with Detroit, New Orleans, and numerous teams this year. Now, with that said, the defense last night was was really atrocious. Um, the Miami came in ranked twenty seventh offensively. That's that's a little absurd in the sense that Waiters and Winslow didn't play, who are so bad efficiency wise that they're probably better. Uh, but they they scored. That was a slow game last night. So their offensive rating last night was a one thirty. Okay, I mean the Warriors are one fifteen, the best in the league. One thirty is obscene. The Heat last night took fifty eight of their eighty six shots in the paint. Sixty seven percent of their shots came in the paint last night. Like. What? And even worse, 46.5 of all of the Heat shots were in the restricted area. So the perimeter defense was completely non-existent last night. Completely non-existent. And that's disconcerting. What's more disconcerting is this is not new. So as much as I have talked about, and maybe I'm guilty of this, how great the Jazz defense is that they came into the game, the number one team defending the restricted area, they're number two now, and that they hold teams to 53.4% shooting in the restricted area, the league average is 60, and how great that is. And then if you go look at 
what they do in the paint overall. They're still the number one defense defending the paint. Teams shoot 48.3%. League average is 54, so that's that's really great. And if you actually kind of dig in uh, to last night's official box score, and you look down on, and you guys have to kind of search around to find these online. I get, but the Heat were 32 of 58 shooting in the paint last night, which is, um, and particularly it was in the fourth quarter where maybe I think the Jazz were at their worst. But so they shot 55 percent in the paint last night. If you, the league average is 54. So the Jazz defense last night actually in the paint wasn't awful. It was just that these guys got in the paint every single play. And in the fourth quarter, they were 9 of 14. So through three quarters, the Jazz paint defense was actually fine. I mean, it wasn't great, but it was 23 of 44. Once the guys got into the paint, the Jazz were holding them to right at the league average. And it wasn't until the fourth quarter that things kind of fell apart a little bit in that regard. But the question is, what were they doing? Just the sieve that was the Jazz perimeter defense last night that was just allowing constant, constant penetration into the paint by Goran Dragic. Uh, really, by Goran Dragic. I mean, he gets us. James Johnson was torching people. He had 24 points. Uh, I haven't looked at his shot clock. That's a problem. And what's here's the disconcerting thing is that this is not a new problem. The Jazz ranked 27th in the NBA in shots allowed in the restricted area. The Jazz allowed 35.1% of all shots in the restricted area. The only team that's worse is actually the New York Knicks are 30th at 36%. The Thunder are 29th. At 36.1%. And the Minnesota Timberwolves are 28th. The Jazz are 27. There's only three teams that allow a higher percentage of opponent shots in the restricted area. Okay, well, that's the most efficient place to shoot. As good as our defense is, that's not great. We now allow 50% of opponent shots to be taken in the paint. There's only one other team, I believe, in the league that's in that the Chicago allows fifty percent and Oklahoma City allows fifty point eight percent. Two other teams. Okay, that's not great. Like at some point part of defense has to be not allowing guys into the area to shoot these shots. And then couple it with the fact we don't force any turnovers. That's not great as well. So there's, you know, uh, hey, we're good. Don't, don't, let's not go nuts and freak out. Because when you look at the Jazz, they're still pretty darn good defensively, where they rank, all those kind of things. But that's a little bit disconcerting. That, hey, you're looking for things and you're looking for trends and you're looking for data points. And those data points are disconcerting in the sense that the, those are flaw, that's a flaw in, your, in something that's going on. You can't really allow that much. We're the third best defensive team in the league. We're the fourth best net rating team in the league. Don't jump off the cliff. The only teams that have a better net rating 
than the Jazz are the Warriors, the Clippers, and the Raptors through 20 games. And were crippled with injuries. Crippled. So, I'd stay pretty darn positive about where we are. We're the 8th best offensive team. We're the 3rd best defensive team. The Warriors and Clippers are the only other teams in the NBA that are top 10 in both. Uh, the Bulls are, top, are 10th offensively, 7th defensively. So that would be top 10. Okay, so let's not go too, get too concerned here. But that's not great. That Those numbers are not... We've got to do a little bit better... Um, we got to do a little bit better in just perimeter defense, keeping guys out of the paint. Now, it's difficult because you're trying to run people off three-point lines, and so there's this happy little balance of what you're doing the whole time. And the Jazz, you know, we get back to what the Jazz do well, and the Jazz are the number one team in the league at preventing corner threes, and they were incredible at that last night. Uh, Miami came in, I believe, as the number one team in the league shooting corner threes. I don't think they hit one all night. Uh, you know, now is that leading... You know, do you, I don't want to give that up. I want everything. So let's, you know, uh, I'll have to talk to Quinn and the coaching staff and try to understand this a little bit uh, better. Like, you better make sure that you don't go fix one problem, put one thumb in a, you know, in the dike, and then have the rest of it flood somewhere else. That's, I think that's, you know, that's an important note to keep an eye on. Uh, excuse me, Miami went one of two on corner threes. Actually, they're going to go officially two of four on corner threes last night is the way the official box looks at it. Um, the Jazz, I think, did the same. Those were two of the best corner three defending teams in the league. The Jazz shooting last night was insane. That's how they stayed in that game. I mean, it was incredible. Wow. The Jazz hit 17 of 30 from three. Effective field goal percentage was through the roof last night. It's one of the best shooting games. It's really too bad. The offensive rating was 127, which is inc- which is awesome. Uh, the effective field goal percentage was 66.4 last night. Wow. Bunch of Trey Lyles, 4 for 4. This That's exciting. Big picture stuff is still greatly exciting for the Jazz. Um, the starting lineup had a brutal night. And if so did one or two other lineups, I'll get to those in just a second. But let me tell you about Sherlock Intelligence. So Sherlock Intelligence is out of Bountiful. And they are a data company. And if you think about it from a money ball perspective or something of that nature, your company is competing either one of two scenarios here, I think, where Sherlock Intelligence will really work for you. One is your company is trying to compete with the big boys and they have, you know, they have huge data company things and, and you're playing at a total disadvantage and you're just trying to wing it. Well, that's not going to work. Data is so important right now, and if you're not using it to somewhat, you're being negligent. So that's where Sherlock comes in, and they're going to get use multiple sources to give you a holistic picture of your customers, find their patterns, and allow you to grow your profits by analyzing the data around your business to help you know what the next steps are uh, to take. Because you need to know your data. Uh, and probably you don't have the staff to do it. The big boys do. The other scenario is, wait a sec, look around. Do you think it's possible that nobody – I'm in kind of an old-school industry and, and nobody else is doing this? Well, that's where you call Sherlock as well, at 855-339-7774. That's 855-339-7774, SherlockIntelligence.com. Let them capture your data from multiple places, visualize the data, and then they'll help you 
analyze it. And that's what makes Sherlock Intelligence a great answer for you, whether you're going to be the money ball player in your industry nobody else is, or whether you've got to find a way to compete. So the Jazz last night just so shorthanded, and the starting lineup of Dante Exum, Joe Johnson, Gordon Hayward, Boris Diaw, and Rudy Gobert, missing three starters, shot five of 19 from the floor, were minus 12 in 10 minutes. So that did not work. Uh, trying to have Dante in for Mac just didn't work. The lineup that did work was Trey Lyles in for Boris, Shelvin in uh, for Dante. That lineup, that lineup played the next most amount of minutes and shot lights out was was pretty good. Um, the other one that was a little tough last night was when Neto came in. They couldn't when Neto with Ingles, Hayward, Lyles, and Withy they couldn't get stops. You know, and uh, so. That you know, I, I I can't get I can't get too up. This this is the thing. I that that loss was a bummer, and the and the real problem with these losses, frankly, is that you you're gonna have a hard time getting them back because you're supposed to be good. But I can't get so upset when what I said at the beginning of the year that I liked about this team was the fact that I liked their twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth guys on the roster. So. And what I meant by that is I liked Neto, and I liked who at the time I thought was Ingles, and I thought with and I liked Withy. And what my point, I didn't expect them to play. And so when three of the five are on the floor, and we get outscored sixteen to eleven over a three and a half minute period of time, and it's a key part of the loss, I I, I can't I can't go crazy on that. I mean, that's really when it all comes back to all these other things we're talking about. That's a huge part of it. All right, there was a weird clock situation, and it's, it was described very well in the Palm Beach Post, so I'm going to discuss that. So Gordon Hayward misses the three with 29.9 seconds left, and James Johnson gets a rebound with 27.9 seconds left, according to the score, official score sheet, which would mean <coughs> excuse me, that everything was okay and the possession ended would end at 3.9, which is exactly what the clock showed when the Jazz gained the possession, called their 20-second timeout, and then controversy ensued. Dennis Lindsay came out of the crowd, was yelling at the officials. Alex Jensen went to Ed Malloy to ask Ed Malloy to review, and Ed Malloy said afterwards that there's no trigger to check. So what's the issue? Well, the issue is that Miami took a timeout with 13.2 seconds left, and the 24-second shot clock showed 8.0 seconds remaining. So I said on the broadcast, as anyone could see, that with 13.2 seconds in the big clock and 8 seconds on the shot clock, that there's a 5.2-second differential. However, if that rebound was really grabbed at 27.9, there should only be a 3.9 differential. Right? If the possession started at 27.9, the 24-second shot clock at that moment should have read 9.3, not 8.0. So how does that happen? Somehow the Heat lost 1.3 seconds on that possession, a 1.3 seconds that the Jazz wished they had because that was the difference between Rudy Gobert putting the ball up and in and and tying the game and going to overtime. 
that that's the mystery of last night is what's going on with the clocks and why don't they line up? Then the weird one is that it was a there was no twenty four second shot clock violation or yeah shot clock violation because Dragic turned the ball over and they allowed the Jazz to get it at three point nine. Which if there was a shot clock, it may have or may not have been the time. It's not clear what happened. Then the the last issue is if the league really doesn't have a trigger on that, that's stupid. It's just dumb. Like you have a trigger if you shoot the ball, but you don't have a trigger if it's about a timeout or. <clears throat> like, why wouldn't you just have a trigger on shot clock issues in the final two minutes? It seems like you're worrying about clock. Like, well, I think we're getting overly specific there. So, anyway, um, that's what happened with that. Uh, and I, I don't really understand. Um, I don't really understand what's going on. So, there's that. All right, here's a little disconcerting note on Dante Exum and, frankly, on Marcus Smart also. Uh, Dante Exum, uh, I, I have said this, and I will keep to this, and I'm trying to stick to this very clearly, that I am not going to evaluate Dante Exum and his explosion and his this and his that and all these things from Dante uh, until about the 40-game point of the season. The only thing that I'm going to point out is that in Dante's rookie year, he shot 35% uh, from the field and 31% from three. And so now Dante has opened up this season and is, again, not shooting the ball great. He's at 39%, which is great because it's five percentage points higher than he was a year ago. But his three-point shooting is five percentage points lower. So, at this point, Dante's career average from the field is 35.8, and his three-point shooting is 30.7. He's played 101 games of his NBA career. Now, this is not a large enough sample size to hit a panic button or worry too much, but it needs to show a consider in the next 60 games – Something he his shooting needs to start to improve. Because if you look at the history of the league, and Dante again is his career shooting percentage is thirty five point eight. Players whose field goal percentage is below thirty seven point five and three point shooting percentage is below thirty two point five. So those are pretty Dante's got a little ways to go to get to both those. He's he's 37.5 is my range. He's down at 35.8. And his three is at 30.7, and his range is 32.5. So there have been 15 players other than Dante, 14 players other than Dante in the history of the NBA that after their first two seasons, that's the best search I can get, are shooting below these numbers. They are the following players in order of win share. Marcus Smart of Boston. Jason Williams of Sacramento. Trey Burke, then of Utah. Sasha Vujicic, then of the Lakers. Yawakaba Diawari, who I, of Denver 2007-2008. Ed O'Bannon. Alexi Shved. 
P.J. Harrison, Phil Pressey, Devin George, Jerome Allen, William Avery, who was a top 10 pick, Junior Harrington, and Nicholas Schizzavilli, who was, I think, a fifth pick. That's not terrific company. So that's my only thought that's a little disconcerting on Dante is just I, I'm not going to worry about his feel for the game and his understanding. He had a bad night last night. Like, that's as out of sorts as I've ever seen him. Okay. He's got to shoot better, though, at some point. Let's go to pack ratings. You are listening to Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Make sure, there, as I mentioned earlier, a bunch of great, great podcasts out there today. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. All right, so pack rating. For those who are new to it, points above average created. The concept is that we take uh, what a player does, how many scoring opportunities a player has every night, compare it to what the average player in the league does in those scoring opportunities, and then when we have that average player and their scoring opportunities, we from there evaluate the impact a player has on the game above average each and every night. Okay? The number one player in the NBA right now is Kevin Durant at 5.4. It's an incredible number. Steph last year had one of the great offensive seasons of all time. Uh, Arguably, maybe the best, was at 5.7 last year. Durant was at 5.3, so Durant is right on again. Steph is number two at 4.6. George Hill of the Jazz is third, despite only playing 11 games at 3.7. Anthony Davis is 3.4, is fourth. Damian Lillard is having an unreal start to his season. He is fifth at 3.3. Jimmy Butler is sixth at 3.1. James Harden is 3.07. That's a high number of players above three. It's usually only about 10 guys above two. J.J. Redick is clicked in. He's at eight. Patty Mills of San Antonio is having a great year. He's at nine. Kevin Love is at 10. Rudy Gobert, 11. C.J. Miles, 12. Kemba Walker, 13. Kyrie Irving, 14. Kristaps Przingis, 15th. Giannis Adetokounmpo, 16th. Kawhi Leonard, 17. Chris Paul, 18. Nick Stoskis. 19th, and Tyson Chandler's 20th. Okay? the There's a bunch of other, other players. that are, Anyone over two is having a great year, so that also includes... I think I just got them all. I got everybody's over two. Let's go to the worst offensive players uh, in the league. The worst offensive player in the league is Dion Waiters. So to the Jazz, may have been lucky that he didn't play last night, or unlucky he didn't play. Unfortunately for Denver, Emmanuel Moutier is in the bottom again for the second time. Nikolai Vukovic, third. Josh McRoberts, fourth. Worst. Marcus Smart, we just talked about, fifth worst. Rajon Rondo, sixth. Mario Huizenga, seventh. Luel Deng, eight. Aaron Gordon of Orlando, nine. Jordan McRae of Cleveland, ten. It's pretty 
Marvin Williams, 11th worst. Covington, 12th. Alfred Payton, 13th. Wow, Orlando's like whole team is here. Dario Saric, uh, 14th. Buddy Heald, 15th. Wade Baldwin, 16th. Christian, Samaj Christian of Oklahoma City, 17th. Ish Smith, who's terrible. When they get Reggie Jackson back, they'll be a lot better. 18th. Robin Lopez, 19th. Darren Williams, 20th. So those, Derek Rose is not great. He's a minus 1.3. Devin Booker, for all the talk about him, is a minus 1.3. I think that's. In- I thought that was interesting. Uh, any others minus under one that jumped out to me? Not particularly that I think would move your meter um, and have you have any thought toward it. Um, Paul Millsap's not having a great year. Trey Burke is by far having his best year of his NBA career, and then he's still not playing in Washington, which is a little too bad because his offense is finally getting closer to being uh, efficient. Along the way. All right, so let's go to the Jazz specifically on pack. And here are the Utah Jazz on a Friday pack. So George Hill's the best at 3.7. Some of this is exciting, actually. Rudy Gobert's at 2.1. Gordon Hayward is up to 0.8. Joe Johnson's at 0.6. Joe Ingles is at 0.6. Jeff Withy's at 0.5. Rodney Hood's at 0.3. Now... One of the keys to me is if you can keep all of your rotation players above average, you have a that's a championship caliber team. Because that means when they take away your possessions, then you are able to uh, move the ball to the next guy who's still above average. So here's our guys that are below average. Trey Lyles is minus .4, but I, I, that's a 31% three-point shooting right now. I think that's going to change. Dante is minus .7. Don't know if that'll change. Derek Favors is minus .8. I would assume since with Derek's track record, if he comes back healthy, that changes. Shelvin Mack is minus .8. And Boris Diaw is minus 1.1. Boris is shooting 35% from the floor and 18% from three. I can't imagine that lasting. It's not great. Um, he does a lot of good things, but that's, that's tough. So... You know, Favors comes back and gets above average, and suddenly Lyles is the backup, and Diaz used when necessary. Sudden, and Lyles gets above average. Now you're you're across the board, and then I don't know. You know, does Dante or Shelvin Mack ever get positive offensively? Would be the next question. But when Alec Burks comes back, then maybe there's less and less of those minutes, and this team suddenly has a chance to be positive across the board. Uh, let me leave you with this on this Friday. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be – don't let one loss upset you. The, the numbers across the board on the Jazz right now are just terrific. And last night was tough. They didn't play as hard as Miami. Miami played really hard. I was crazily impressed by Miami. Uh, but big picture, things are still really terrific. That is today's edition of Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Have a wonderful weekend. I'll talk to you Monday from Los Angeles.